Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to patreon.com slash analog talk and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Chris. I'm Tim. And today's special guest, we have Linus and his camera. Hello, Linus. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yeah. Super excited to chat with you today, Linus. Before we get into all that stuff, though, do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners for folks who may not know who you are? Give us a background on what you got going on. Yeah, um, I am Linus and his camera, and I am a conceptual film photographer located in Raleigh, North Carolina. I I think that pretty much wraps up what I like to do. I recently (laughs) opened a uh, mail-in film lab for my followers to send in film to, and I process, scan, develop, all that I, not in that order, but uh, <laughs> all that good stuff. So yeah, I I uh, kind of feel like my uh, mission statement right now is just maintaining the accessibility of photographic film, especially with people my age. So yeah, that's me. So how long have you been shooting just in general? Um, when, when did you get started? In- so I graduated high school in 2016 and I got a digital camera then and I just started taking photos as much as I could. I <laughs> didn't really know too much about film photography um, up until about halfway through 2018. I bought a Mamiya RB67 uh, because I saw yes. a video uh, that, and if you guys haven't checked him out, Sean Daughtry at Sean D Ooh. Shoots, um, he oh, posted yeah, a video yeah. using a RZ67 with the Polaroid film back. And uh, I was so mesmerized by that, but I, that I went to my local camera store and had them figure out exactly what camera that was. And then I was like, okay, I can't afford an RZ. Do you guys have anything else? And they were like, we have an RB. So I bought that with the Polaroid back with no intention of ever shooting color negative or, you know, any sort of 120 film just to shoot that Polaroid film. Oh, just really? to find out that it was out of production. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I eventually, exactly. But I eventually decided to buy uh, some Portra 160 and I tried it out and I was just shocked. And it kind of got put to the side for a little while, but then I got uh, my heart shattered. Um, long relationship ended, mm. shocked. I was sad. So I invested mm. all of my time into learning how to shoot with that camera. It really occupied mm. my brain. So wow. uh, that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah. Photography is such a good, good yeah. <laughs> distraction yeah. from heartbreak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so did you end up using the Polaroid back at all? Like, did you get to shoot some peel apart or did you just kind of? I did. Yeah. Okay, cool. So cool. my local store had been stashing quite a bit of it mm. and they uh, let me buy two boxes and then uh, I'm a pretty avid uh, shark on Facebook Marketplace, and I found a <laughs> lady in Florida mm-hmm. selling a tripod with five boxes of peel-apart film for $30. Yes. So I bought that. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's how I found my uh, my second RB. I bought a, a never-before-used RB67 with 40 rolls of expired film and five no packs way. for $150 last Shut year. Up. Yeah. Facebook Marketplace is incredible for stuff like that. But So I've got about four boxes of 100C in the fridge. Uh, a new box of 3000B in the fridge that I bought from Brooklyn Film Camera that I'm mm-hmm. going to be testing out and doing a little video on. But uh, yeah, I I shot maybe two boxes of it and then I was like, wait, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. How about I save <laughs> this until I know, like understand 
how to, how this stuff works. So it's just been on hold for now. Man, good deal. Like that's um, it's funny. Your our stories we always like coincides. Like when we do these interviews, like mm-hmm. a lot of stories kind of are my story as well. And it's that was my my breakthrough camera as well. And it was with a Polaroid back came with it. And at first I was like, what is this? Like I didn't yeah. have no idea what it was. I was like, this doesn't hold roll film. And then you know figured it out. And this is when. 100c and 3000b were seven and ten dollars so i just yep. like I oh was wow like a kidney candy store yeah i was is that was that really the price point for a box of it yeah i mean this was yeah. like 2015 i think 20 mm-hmm. 2014 oh 2015 yeah and i would just i mean that fp see the rare one at that point was the fp 100b they made a 100 speed black and white peel apart too and i didn't really care for it because it looked different it wasn't mm. like the 3000b it almost had like a like a sepia or sepia toning ish look to it and i wasn't really into that but that was like the unicorn back when i was shooting because you could get the 100c for seven bucks and the 3000b for 10 on amazon yeah. all day like all day yeah. all the time wow yeah it was it was wild so i cut my teeth kind of the same <laughs> and it's fun and which one they just discontinued the color first right no the or black was it and the white other way, right? yeah. yeah it was the black yeah. and white yeah, I remember. It's yeah. so funny. Uh, I, I hadn't ever really had any, I guess it was partially no desire to shoot black and white and then also no desire to waste peel apart film. Mm. But um, up until this Brooklyn film camera sale, I hadn't no, really realized that uh, 3000B was 3000 speed. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> most of my conceptual work, I'm pushing my film to 1600 or 3200, but I still didn't realize that those numbers in the name correlated with the speed for some reason. <laughs> so I immediately bought some and I'm just going to try to do something similar to what I would do with roll film. So mm. yeah, it's very sad that it's not around anymore, but I'm glad yeah. I have a box to give a go. Yeah. I'm glad you do too. Cause I feel like everybody <laughs> needs a chance with that film because yep. there's just something about it. I mean, we have Polaroid and we have Instax and stuff like that. And I know you're, you, you, like started with Polaroids a lot too, that you were big into yeah. Polaroid shooting and look at me doing my research before we get <laughs> on here. I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know how you know that. You're, uh, you did a video on YouTube of your camera collection, which I, oh, yes. it's like one of those videos where I, uh, we all do it. We have tabs open on our, uh, internet all the time. And that video is always just like paused <laughs> at some point in it. And I'll, I'll sit here and I'll watch like another like three minutes of it. And I'm like, dude, I, I'm just a sucker for like what's in my bag and gear videos all the time. Yeah. Like I will just watch them all the time. And I, you said that that was your first film camera was a, was a Polaroid. It, it was a, it wasn't a Polaroid. It was like a, it was like a Spectra knockoff by another company. I can't remember. Oh, wow. It's like on my fridge over there. Like, oh, what is it? Um, it doesn't matter. But yeah, then I got the uh, I got one of the impossible refu- refurbished um, uh, one steps for like Christmas or something. Yeah. And I I don't even know if I've ever put a roll of film through it. But I I've ha- I have maybe fifteen or twenty pretty rare Polaroid six hundreds. Like I've got this one called a it's called a Let's Talk Shop Polaroid. It was like a display model. Um, I've got the Tasmanian Devil one. I've got the Barbie nice. one. Nice. I've got a couple SX-70s. Yeah, I've just a lot of good <laughs> stuff. And um, yeah, I, I was just obsessed with those cameras. And I think a lot of uh, my love for analog photography came from just how different the cameras look too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's another reason why I wanted to start with the RB is I was like, this looks really cool. It, does, it doesn't look yeah. like my 6D. So I uh, 
I think a lot of it's just the cosmetics of the camera it really got me addicted to buying them. How, however, I will have to say I, I do shoot quite a bit of roll film, so most of my cameras are getting put to good use and they're not just props. <laughs> good. Yeah. <laughs> so what you said you shoot a lot of conceptual stuff. What, yeah. What, t- do, I wanna... <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, uh, I think I think the best way to describe it is. I'll have like random words get stuck in my head quite frequently. It's, you know, lyrics and stuff like that. Mm. And over time, those words will eventually like form into like a visual. And I try yes. to like figure out how I can best show that. Um, sometimes they're like on the spot, but I, I guess a conceptual shoot to me is more or less just a, uh, not just like a portrait. It's, it's something that I put time into putting together. Like I like to build these sets. Uh, whether it's a set like made of physical props or it's a set built of different lights that like create something. Yeah. So uh, for instance, I have this, my first conceptual shoot, June 13th of 2018 was my first one. Um, and uh, I, I love that you know had, the date. That's I know. So that's good. so cute. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm like working on like a video about like, Oh, cool. Hey cool. guys, nice. like you might not have come across the thing that like quote unquote changes your life yet and you just need to keep shooting to until you get there mm, um, I, love that. I I didn't understand the potential that film cameras had in low light situations until I shot this uh, shot this concept called gridlocked it's pretty much just a neon grid on a girl's face it has nothing to do with the word gridlocked but I mm. had the word gridlocked stuck in my head and that's what came to mind um, but that kind of that shoot is what kind of opened my eyes to what these old cameras are capable of mm. they're they're just as capable as a digital camera when it comes to these conceptual shoots, as long as you're being very, very, very like, like particular about how you're metering. So mm-hmm. I, I learned very quickly that if you have your shutter speed, you know, as long as your shutter speed isn't going below a 60th, you're not going to get very much image shake if you're holding your camera in your hands on a, instead of on a tripod. And, uh, the higher you can rate your film speed higher and then push it in, uh, development to, you know, get a quote unquote higher speed. And those principles have allowed me to, shoot some pretty crazy nighttime concepts. Mm. And uh, yeah, I guess I've just kind of fallen in love with the entire process of like picking out a old camera and then uh, pairing that with like a sh- film shoot idea I have and uh, making, making something that takes the viewer to a completely different like time period or world. Yeah. Um, but you know, keeping, <laughs> you know, I just, I think the best thing about it is that I could do it on digital, but it's just a lot more fun to do on film. So I haven't actually done a shoot in the studio on film yet. I feel terrible saying that, that I haven't done that yet. Because I, <laughs> I went to photography school and we learned on film and we did studio stuff, but it was so long ago. It's like, I need to like relearn. But what you said about like conceptual shoots, even that I haven't done forever where I, I had the idea before the, the shoot and this is what, what it's going to be. Now it's like, it's, a, you know, a headshot session. So it's going to be what it is, or I'm going to go out shooting and take pictures of what I see. I like miss the days of like, this is my idea. I need these models. Like, you know what I mean? That's yeah. really cool. I miss that. Yeah. it's I mean, it, I don't get to do it nearly as much as I'd like recently because of COVID, but yeah. a, lo- a lot of times I've just found myself wanting to shoot so frequently that I run out of ideas and then I just like spiral and get yeah. sad. So I, uh, I try to, uh, when things are normal, I try to do one once a week. Um, and honestly, I've been starting to do videos paired with them so that I have the entire oh, cool. thing recorded. I've been hiring my friend to shoot behind the scenes and I'll be mic'd up describing That's everything great. I'm doing. And uh, those have actually really helped me 
like think of new ideas just because I'm like being like having to go back through the footage and like edit and look at exactly how I shot these things. But um, yeah, I, I love doing concepts, but I also do quite a bit of landscape and, uh, you know, street photography, especially when I travel. Mm. It's I would say that I enjoy doing it just as much. And I definitely don't share as much street stuff on Instagram as I do on Twitter. Twitter's uh, my biggest platform right now. And uh, it's a, just a, such a powerful tool for photographers. Uh, to share their work and get it out there. It's just so much, it's so much easier to get your work seen. So really, I need to, I need to tap into, yeah, I need to tap into the Twitter resources because I, you know, I'm, I'll repost like a cat picture or something crazy or something (laughs) funny or, you know, say a little one liner, but I really need to look into Twitter and see, see what I can do on there. Yeah. I don't ever share my work there. It's really powerful. Um, I, the following I have on Instagram today is, uh, is directly from Twitter. Oh, and I, okay. I didn't, I didn't have any of the following I have today from uh, on Twitter or Instagram a year ago. I probably had you know 500 followers on Twitter and a couple thousand on Instagram. But uh, things just have kind of blown up in my face as I've learned and began doing these videos and stuff. And uh, yeah, it, it's all directly from Twitter. I, I don't think I would have seen any sort of growth on Instagram otherwise. Wow. Uh, the platform is just not built to really support creators like that anymore. So it's definitely been a pretty interesting thing to watch how that like cross. Mm. Yeah. Cross like pollinates. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yeah. what you were, what word you'd use for that, but uh, yeah, Twitter. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, your your work also speaks for itself. You have right. some pretty beautiful stuff online. That thank you. Know, you. The colors, your colors, just drive me. I wish I had that kind of eye. Like I'm obviously the black and white guy, and <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> I, I just wish I saw color like color shooters do. Like I just don't have that in me. I get so distracted. It's like I'm a squirrel when it comes to shooting color. It's like bird or whatever, you know. Like <laughs> I can't. Well, that's funny. Is uh, I I love shooting color, but sometimes I feel like it's a crutch. I find like myself gravitating mm. towards like the same mm-hmm. two colors over and over again. Like blue and red are always my favorites to do. And if you look at my Instagram feed, the, like the, the last three shoots or something, um, and, I, <laughs> and I always find myself when I'm shooting like street photography. If I'm shooting black and white, I wish I shot color. And if I'm right. shooting a concept, I wish I shot black and white. Um, some of my favorite conceptual work has, has been like black and white work and I just don't shoot enough of it. I, I think I've shot less than 10 rolls of black and white in my life. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm, we're done. We're done here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your, your zoom video chat filters even black and white. So yeah. I know that you're serious about it. I'm, I, I have a problem. I have a real <laughs> issue. <laughs> Timmy, we've only hung out in real life. What? Twice. Yes. Twice. I see him in person. I'm like, Oh, you're in color. Oh, yeah. this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. If I can, if I can pull the saturation down on anything, I'm doing it. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So what are some of your favorite color stocks? What are you shooting? So I was pretty pretty religious about um Portra 800 for a while mm, uh, when it came to film. doing these concepts. It it's just very one to one with the colors you see in real life, mm. but then I would say like shadows and stuff just kind of tints a a, a really beautiful way. Um I've noticed like uh like whiter colors will turn like a slight green in uh, like a uh, yeah. greener hue in dark situations. And I really like that. But then uh, recently I have absolutely fallen in love with Lomo color negative 400 and 800. And I think they are so underappreciated. And mm-hmm. also um, Lomo color negative 400 and 800 uh, push so beautifully 400 pushes to 1600 
um, in a way that I didn't really think was possible. And oh, wow. uh, wow. I, I, I just shot this uh, YouTube video with the Kiev 60, the Ukrainian 6x6 camera, which is pretty much a 6x6 Pentax 6x7 if you ask me. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but I shot 400 and 800 both at 1600 and uh, I just I don't think I've seen colors on film like this before and I wow. I'm so stoked to share these pics but yeah uh, those those are my favorite and, and then also Cine Still 800T I'm honestly kind of moving away from Cine Still 800T uh, for concepts I don't really necessarily think it does the best uh, for like skin tones and stuff mm, um, okay. even even when I'm blasting people with like six different colors um, <laughs> but yeah Lomo 400 800 and Portra 800 and I guess also Portra 400 so just uh, those four stocks are just my favorites for the conceptual stuff I do um, and I know you didn't ask but my favorite black and white stock is Lomo Lady Grey 400 Ooh. I love that film and I've only shot two or three rolls of it but um, so, you know, uh, 30% of the black and white film are shot, but it's really, really beautiful stuff. And I, I just love Lomography. They're mm-hmm. definitely, you know, good friends of the show and just good all around friends to the community. I mean, who else is pushing out new film stocks and lenses and just yeah. being as stoked as they are for photography? I love it. We have to talk about your lab. Yeah. And <laughs> I, that's another video that I was just like, dude, I... Like your your yeah <laughs> the pack on yeah. <laughs> I just love the breakdown on the video because I uh you know I I don't even know how I stumbled across your YouTube I think it was just in a recommended video and oh, no kind of just went yeah yeah it was great and then it's like I said because I'm a what's in your bag like my camera collection <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of person because yeah, I mean there's so much fun to watch and I think I just went on from there and you know watched your New York City video and your your lab video I just think it's a it's a really cool concept of what you're doing with especially like your little community that you have and yeah well, not little but you know bringing in seasons and i mean just go ahead explain explain <laughs> yeah, this yeah, thing yeah. to us <laughs> I, yeah of course so um i am a full-time videographer and uh i do quite a bit of photography on on the side nothing really film related i've been i haven't gotten paid for anything film related before uh, but my entire online presence is film photography related. And so when the pandemic hit, I, uh, I was like, well, what, what do I do? And <laughs> since I'm freelance, uh, I immediately got denied like any sort of like financial mm-hmm. aid. What is it? Uh, what is it? Unemployment. Called? Yeah. Unemployment. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, I tried to like block it from my memory. I'm so mad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I just like kind of sat around for a couple of days, like getting way too drunk and like playing video games and stuff. And then I just realized that people, ask me so many times every week who my favorite lab is, if I would develop their film for them, and uh, after I say no, they'll ask again. So uh, I, I just decided <laughs> to kind of look into how that would work. Like, the reason I would say no to these people is because I, I just have no way to be efficient and yeah. I have no way to really, like, scale it or, you know, make it, like, a really viable business. So up until I got the Kodak Pack on, I was using an Epson V550 to scan all my work, which is a great scanner for anybody who wants to get into film photography. It's cheap. It uh, scans relatively fast with the up- Epson 2 uh, software update, and uh, it's great, but I mean, if you're going to scan hundreds of rolls of film, especially 35 millimeter, it will take hours per roll. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just, uh, I, I was stumped on that for a little bit. Have you guys uh, uh, talked to Dan Rubin before? 
Not yet. Yeah, he's going to be on the show soon. <laughs> yes. He, oh, you guys will love talking to him. He is great. He's, great. he's a yeah. great uh, guy. I met him in New York a couple months ago, and uh, we've just been like best friends ever since then. And uh, yeah. I, I, I was talking to him about how I could maximize like any sort of efficiency with 35. And he was like, well, you could you could do DSLR scanning. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I could. And he was like, or you could look at a Kodak pack on. And I'd already had a couple friends recommend that. So mm-hmm. I actually uh, watched Matt Day's video on the Kodak Pack-On from like three or four years ago. And I was like, okay, I'm sold. Um, <laughs> how, how do I get one? And I went to go look for one and they're so expensive. Oh, yeah. But I was I was invested. I was like, okay, so if I, if I get one of these Pack-Ons, I can, I can get one of these uh, with the money that of the first like lab, like run, uh, if, if it oh, goes wow. well. Uh, you know, like I can, I can pay it off. And so I found one on the first uh, Facebook group I went to, Film Photo Gear. And yeah. uh, it, it was not just a pack-on. It was also a, a dead pack-on for parts and a Windows XP laptop oh, wow. Uh, wow. for $1,300. And that's not even the best part about it. The person who's selling it is Andre at Cinestill. I was just going to okay. ask you. I was like, is this Andre's pack-on? Yeah. That's and, so uh, funny. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't had a chance. I, I got to meet quite a bit of the Cinestill team when I was in New York uh, mm-hmm. for Photo Plus. He was not there. But so I got acquainted with him and he was, he knew who I was and had seen my, uh, developing video and stuff. I, I featured quite a bit of Cine still equipment in that video. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was like, dude, this is great because the reason I was really nervous about buying a pack on is like buying it from a rando. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is this thing going to break the second I get it? Will it even work? Mm. And so, um, I bought it from him. He shipped it to me from LA I set it up and it, it, I mean, it works great. It does exactly. I, I did the hack so I can uh, scan positive film if I need to. And, um, I also have it set up so it can, uh, scan a higher, like a higher res file because the scanner is insanely capable, but it's kind of like locked at like a, mm. like a, dr- uh, like a drugstore level. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's like the main, like the main, jewel of my lab is uh maximizing the efficiency there and uh, yeah so once i had that i was uh kind of like confident i could do this and so i put out on my uh twitter like hey uh like or it was more just like a photo like kind of like teasing it and yeah. people just went nuts they were super excited <laughs> about it um and then i shared a video on exactly how it'll work and kind of how it works is it's i, I compared to other labs um you know price wise and I said, okay, what if I just make 35 millimeter and 120 film the same price? And every single, every single person, every, every single roll of film is high res. Like there's not a, that's just the standard. Like what if I just do that instead? Like oversimplify it. And then what if I let anybody who sends in over two rolls of film develop the film with me on Instagram or Instagram, like video chat? Yes. That would be a great way to kind of like interact with everybody sending in film. And then what if I also like provided them with a print of my work returned with their negatives? That would be cool too. So I shared a video kind of explaining all of that. People went nuts again. And (laughs) then, uh, the first, uh, like season of the lab was April 13th, I believe. And it sold out in three minutes, which was so cool. Of course, uh, granted it was only 35 order like slots. So you can send in one to five rolls of film for each one. But, um, I didn't really know what was going to happen at all. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Oh, I love it. So yeah, I started I started getting all the mail in. I had bought a PO box so I could have somewhere to put it all and um I started developing the rolls. I came came across my first really huge issue which was the FaceTime video chat calls at two roll orders slowed down my production 
so mm. much. Like I could only develop two roles at a time. Like I would have like 15 orders sitting here and each one would be like two to four roles and each oh. one would get 30 minutes of my time. Wow. Yeah. So I was just like, uh, in this first, in this first run, I was just dying. Um, so <laughs> for the second run, I changed that. I made it four rolls and up and I thought that that was super, super smart and everyone was super cool with that. But, um, then everybody sent in four to five rolls <laughs> and then I was there again. Like the first run I had like 12 and a half hours of FaceTime calls to do. Dang. And the second one I probably had around the same, but I was also processing a lot more films. So it made it a lot easier. And the worst part was, uh, for the first, uh, one and a half seasons, and I guess I, I've only done two seasons tomorrow. Uh, so far, uh, I was using a Patterson tank. So I was using a five reel Patterson tank, uh, which is just not efficient. <laughs> at <No. all>. yeah. <laughs> um, I was making do, I was doing what I need to do, but, um, I decided to, uh, kind of like figure out what I could do to get a Jobo system. So, you know, like one of those automatic systems that yeah. does it all for They're you. Great. Yeah. That's not really financially great for me. So no. I couldn't yeah. do that. <laughs> uh, and then Andre just happened to message me saying, Hey, look what I found at Cine still. And he sent me a video of his Jobo tank sitting on this little tiny plastic base, like about this big, just rolling back and forth. And I was like, what is that? What is that? And he was like, I haven't seen one before, but it's called a Uniroller. And I was like, okay, uh, tell me how the film looks after you you take it out. And he was like, it, it does exactly what the manual roller base you have does. And I was like, all right, uh, all right, I'm going to go try to find one. And I went on eBay. There's only two listed. Wow. I n- naturally bought both of them. Uh, but the thing, is, <laughs> the thing is, the craziest thing is they're only like 30 bucks. They're like 30 to 60 bucks each. And that's such a fascinating price point for these devices that almost render like bigger Jobo tank or Jobo processors useless, especially wow. since a lot of those bigger uh, processors, you still have to pour the chemicals in and out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you still do. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, now I have two Jobo tanks that can develop eight to 10 rolls of film at once. I have three unirollers. So if I get another tank, I can do another, but now I, now pretty much what I do is I just have all of these tanks I pour the chemicals in at the same time and I set them all to go at once and I sit there and monitor them and then move back to the pack there on and put go. new film in and stuff. But yeah, now I'm efficiently w- without spending like more than 150 bucks yeah. uh, developing 20 rolls at a time. So I can effectively wow. develop around 100 rolls a day. That's wild, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm all doing, I'm doing all of this from uh, inside of my closet and uh, my desk next to my bed in my apartment. So, I mean, those are kind of like the very, like that's kind of like the groundwork of how it works. There's a lot more logistical stuff, like when it comes to like keeping film in check and, you know, making sure I'm not getting stuff confused. I pretty much just emulated labs there too. But yeah, so it's, it's a pretty complex system and it's a lot of work for one person to do. Uh, And I guess the the last thing I'll say about it is um, the seasons thing. The reason I'm doing it in like a season sort of uh, like, you know, once a month, uh, you know, there's a, there's a date when the season drops is so that I don't get stuck into being a lab full time. Um, I, I need to be able to do other stuff. And luckily everybody who's sending in film is a a fan of my work. So they totally understand that. And, uh, like, you know, yeah, it's great. And, you know, of course I don't, I think it's cool that the seasons sell out instantly, but, um, I would rather them not, I would rather everybody have a chance to get in, you know, with, with no time restraint, but that's really the only, uh, way to do it uh, so that I can still like do photo concepts, uh, do YouTube videos and like, you know, not like breathe (laughs) and not just be a a lab technician the entire time. So it's worked really well so far. Everybody's really supportive of the lab and the way that it's set up and they totally get it. So, uh, yeah, I'm super stoked on it. And actually, uh, at 12 PM tomorrow, um, 
June 1st, which I'm sure this will air after that, season three will have <laughs> launched. So I'll be spending the next uh, 10, 15 days just uh, working very long hours to make sure it, <laughs> it works. Wow. Man. Yeah. I'll have to, uh, I'll make sure to link in the show notes your, the lab video that's on your YouTube. I, yeah. yeah. Just super impressed. I mean, down to like the whole process is just sweet. And I, it's funny because that, uh, the rotator thing that you have the the tanks on doing the mixing and stuff, you can't find those anywhere. Like when I no, saw I you had that, I was like searching everywhere. I'm like, <laughs> I want one. <laughs> well, that, that's that's the crazy thing. And I, I covered that in the video is that they've, they've been lost in time. It's not that it's yeah. not even that they're so popular that they're too expensive to buy. Mm-hmm. They, they literally just don't exist online. And when they do exist, they're good for th- like 30 to 60 maybe a hundred bucks. And that is so strange to me, given the fact that like once, once they show up, they get pulled down uh, by somebody. And I just, I think that especially, you know, I had a couple of friends who were pretty mad at me that I shared the information on them. Like, why would you <laughs> tell everybody about these? But uh, as I, as Andre said from Cinestill, he said, you know, the second that the community gets mad that these don't exist, the chances of somebody producing a newer Making one, one. Yep. better, yep. With potential like built-in timers that you know can stop at three minutes and thirty seconds for development and stuff, uh, that becomes a bigger reality. Um, there's no reason that uh, devices like that shouldn't be totally accessible to anybody who wants to develop at home. And I mean, I guess you could definitely just create a device that does those inversions, like with a 3D printer too. It doesn't yeah. need to be yeah. like a a product that is produced by a company. So definitely really, really interested to see what happens in the next two to three years for at-home development. Same. And I think I think things are going to go in a really good direction, especially if people make a, a big fuss about the fact that unirollers <laughs> aren't easily accessible. <laughs> I mean, even down to your sleeving at the end, that little sleeving machine you got. Yeah, for, the crown for, sleever. Yes. I mean, Ooh. come on, dude. <laughs> like, come on. Timothy, so. you got to step your game up. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I tried to do kind of what you did as well. Like, I would you know develop friends or a couple just a couple different people's film and dude how overwhelming it gets when even you know one person sends you five another seven (laughs) you got to keep track of everything and then yeah it's like i i again i hate to say it like i just don't want to get into that unless it would be like a business venture to go in with somebody i just don't want to be the like what what you're doing is badass like i love the seasons thing like clears your time like you're doing it right yeah you're doing it the right way I, I understand. Like, that's the thing is I, I was asked for so long before I started it or or even considered it, like, would you develop my film for me? And I'm like, nah, I, just too much time. So, yeah, you know, taking time, a chunk of each month instead of like having it constantly be a thing that I have to monitor mm-hmm. is like the ultimate way to do it. Like, I, I don't I don't want to be locked into anything, but I'd love to develop your film in this seven to 12 days that I'm willing yeah. to do it every month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that that's the coolest thing. And actually that crown sleever device, um, I am so lucky to have such a supportive uh, like a film photography network, mm. both online and in Raleigh. We've got two great film camera stores here, uh, Southeastern Camera and Peace Camera. And they're, they have like a full fr- lab at uh, Southeastern. And one of their ex-employees was uh, on the phone with me talking to me about the lab. And they were like, uh, you should look up uh, a crown sleever. And I was like, what is that? And uh, <laughs> they sent me to this site called Packor, which is hilarious. It's it's very similarly named to the Packon, which is cr- like such a weird coincidence. But they have like, you know, la- all lab supplies. They sell the, the twin check stickers that I put on each the oh, negative yeah. and the packing slip to make sure you can identify the origin. And they had a refurbished crown sleever for about 150 bucks. 
And then uh, all the sleeving stuff was like for a couple rolls of it, which is like 5,000 sheets uh, per thing was like a hundred bucks or something. And so I just ordered it all up and uh, it, it, it does exactly what it needs to do. It's so cool that there's so many of these semi-ancient devices um, mm-hmm. that just have served one purpose for a lab and they still do it today. Love it. I'm such a fan of that stuff because I mean, I come from the printing age. I went to school for printing and design and stuff like that. And just to see like letterpress revivals and film cameras <laughs> making a revival like mm-hmm. vinyl you know like cassette tapes are cool again like it's just <laughs> i'm i could scream at the top of my lungs i'm so <laughs> excited with with what's to come because now you know like you said like instead of hiding the secrets and all the goodies for i get that too i'm a hoarder i don't want to mm-hmm. know i don't want to tell all my secrets away but it's so true. Like if there could just be one dude that's like an engineer or into something that's like, oh man, I could make that in five seconds. Look at this. And you know, I can add a temperature control to it and I can, you know, it's like, come on, let's all work together guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think the, uh, the greatest thing about, you know, starting these smaller labs, I I, I know a couple other people who have very similar workflows to me. I, I would say that mine might be a little better, you know, flowing wise than theirs. But, uh, all of it is good for film photography in the industry. It's it's not something where like the dark room is going to be furious that I opened a lab. Yeah, um, right. You know, yeah. seventy five orders a month for me is not going to make a dent in their <laughs> in their sales. Right. Um, so I mean, it's it's just great to kind of be in an industry that uh, is so um, so you know welcoming and like ready to like support other businesses that. Uh, do the same thing as them. And also, I think I'm in an interesting position where I'm not only a lab, I'm also like an individual creator. So I'm I'm both like, you know, the the developer and I'm also, you know, like the the a, just a photographer. Like I'm I'm not just like a, a lab where you might not know like the people that are handling your film. Like if you send your film to me, it's going to be me it's developing true. it. It's going to be yeah. me messing it up. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> you know what you're getting into when you send it to me. Um, but uh yeah, so a really cool like being able to especially like reach out to people at CineStill or Kodak and, you know, have like, like an arm's reach and actually ha- like have that information accessible. I don't even know so if that's good. what you asked, but. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sharing any of like your, I guess, customers or clients? Are you sharing any of their work? It'd be cool to like kind yeah, of see so, like. Oh, this is actually a funny story. So I was doing an Instagram live uh, before this second or the, before the season two drop of my lab. And I was talking about how I was right about to make an Instagram page called Linus and his film lab. And, uh, I went to go make it right after that live. And it was a page all of a sudden, like somebody went and took the page. That's so crazy. And, and I was like, Oh wow, this is crazy. I didn't realize people would ever do this to me. That so I, sucks. <laughs> I, I messaged them and I said, Hey, can I have this page? And they were like, uh, yeah, sure. What do you want to use it for? And I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to play dumb. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I was just thinking about using it for uh, my small mail-in film lab. And they were like, how much do you want it for? And <laughs> I, I screenshotted that and put that on Twitter and people harassed them enough that they gave up the name. Uh-huh. But the, the, coolest, <laughs> the coolest thing about that harassment <laughs> was that uh, I shared on Twitter that I got the page and I immediately had a thousand followers on that page. Wow. And wow. that's, you know, that's a, a thousand potential customers, a, a customers, thousand yeah. potential, right. you know, uh, mail-in filmies. And uh, so I decided, okay, so this page needs to be dedicated to a couple things. Uh, education, sharing client scans that, of course, permit it. And then also doing mail-in film lab giveaways. I haven't seen any labs do this. I could be wrong. I'm sure there are some that have. 
but uh, you know, doing giveaways with especially with different like prompts and stuff like where people can win. Like, hey, you can send in three rolls of film on me, and I'll also oh, do a video it. video That's with cool. you. Um, yeah, uh, that sort of thing uh, is kind of what I've dedicated the page to. I haven't been too active on there yet. But uh, I've got quite a bit of incredible work that's come through the lab that I'm really excited to share over there. Um, and so it's just going to be like another community. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's kind of like the goal is uh, as long as people are okay with me sharing it, I'll do these artist highlights all day. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. One last lab question that I that just popped in my <laughs> mind while we were talking about this. Now, are you doing – I know a lot of labs do kind of not like color correcting, but – you know, you kind of crop it and fix it a little bit, you know, make yeah. sure that it's not crazy wonky or anything like that. Are you doing stuff like that too? Or are you just kind of scan it in and send it? Yeah. So, um, that's a great question. Uh, the pack on has some really incredible, like, I, I think it's co- like a Kodak color model, um, oh, okay. that okay. not necessarily can be found anywhere else. So the scans off the bat are really, really good. Like both high res and color wise, um, some, and th- to make, to make the best of those, uh, Kodak scans, uh, you just uh, kind of tweak it inside of the Windows XP software. Okay. And uh, so I'll do that for some shots if some something came out super uh, crazy. And since I've been such an advocate of expired film, I get so much expired film. So I'm doing a lot of those <laughs> correct, like heavy corrections. Like it's like it scans and it's pink. And so I yeah. have to scan it back yeah. to like a, like a greener side of things. Uh, I'm not doing too many corrections on the pack on 35 millimeter side of things, but uh, I'm doing DSLR scanning. Uh, for 120 film and I'm converting with negative lab pro and that software nice. is really, really great for, uh, like off the bat, perfectly yeah, correct yeah. inversions. Mm-hmm. So I would say like 50% of the time I'm making corrections and 50% of the time I hit convert and then I'm like, okay, that's great. Looks good. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm being pretty, uh, like aware I'm, I'm, you know, checking every photo for a couple seconds to make sure it's acceptable to send. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I was just curious about that. What What is the future? Are you gonna lean more towards the lab, or what's What do you have? Do you have any like photo projects so, coming up? Uh, my goals prior to the lab were how can How can I move to New York? How can I move to yeah. New York? Mm. Uh, I have a. Uh, I wouldn't even really call it a sponsorship, but I have a relationship with B and H. Uh, where they were, were kind of like interested in doing, you know, different collaborations together oh, and stuff. That's great. And yeah. in fact, in fact, they sent me the macro lens and DSLR, Kaiser DSLR scanning table uh, for my lab to use for a couple months. Um, so shout out to B&H uh, for supporting local or small businesses. That's really cool. So yeah, uh, I've, I've been wanting to figure out how to get up there to do that. And then also mainly uh, prior to the lab, you know, I just can't get hired for film photography related stuff in Raleigh. There's no market for it. Mm-hmm. But I have tons of friends in New York that are, you know, able to get hired every single, you know, week for film photography projects and make a, a really good like living off of it. Yeah. And that's what I want to do. And I also want to shift my uh, focus to doing conceptual stuff and then also education. And I, I want to do that through YouTube. So I've been working on my YouTube and that's actually been growing way faster than I thought. But the goal was always to move to New York. And then I had no way to actually make it a reality because I want to move up there and have like a consistent thing. Yeah. yeah. But now this film lab exists and all I need to do is change my P.O. box. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Then I'm operating out of a hole in the wall in New York. Uh, so ultimately, I'd like to move up there in the next uh, couple months. It's completely dependent on the pandemic. I just don't yeah. know. Um, so I'm kind of playing it by ear. But yeah, the goal is to live in Brooklyn with a friend of mine. We'll rent a three-bedroom, and the uh, third bedroom will be a film lab. <laughs> Dude, sick. Love it. Oh. Yeah. 
And I, I've never lived anywhere other than Raleigh in the 22 years I've been alive. So it definitely scary, but yeah. uh, definitely exciting. So we'll see. New York is beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I love New York City. My dream is to also open a lab on like a slightly larger scale. So the fact that you're doing so well small is very inspiring. Yeah, awesome. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm very, very shocked at like the fact that I get any orders. Like I just, I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. Yeah. We'll be right back with a listener question for Linus after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk comes from Polaroid. Use the promo code ANALOGTALK10 on your first purchase on film at Polaroid.com. All right, guys, this is the part of the show where we break off and take a question from one of our listeners. And this week's question comes from at kitchen underscore 10 swans. It's a crazy name. <laughs> and they would like to know, how do you find inspiration slash generate new ideas? Yeah, great question for these times because we've yeah. all kind of just been like, ah, right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, man, that's, that's such a great question because I feel like I'll never have an appropriate answer to it, like a one sentence answer. Mm. Um, I always feel a, a lot of people uh, look at my work and just say, man, this guy just doesn't run out of ideas. But that's not the case. I run out of ideas every single week and I pull my hair out about it every single week. Like I'm always stressed out about it. If I can't mm. think of something, I feel like it's the end. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Constantly, constantly just anxious, like, man, uh, or or if like I shoot something and I'm like, Man, it just isn't as good as what it did last time. Like, I'm always trying to find the next big thing for me. So, inspiration for me has always come from the weirdest places. I talked about it a little earlier um, with, like, words getting stuck in my head, like uh, gridlocked or what's another good one? I'm not going to be able to think of another good one. Uh, or, like, for instance, um, there's a there's a rap, art, rap artist that I don't really listen to very frequently, but uh, they're named G-Eazy, and they have an album called When It's Dark Out. And that, that, you know, title paired with the fact that mm. I just finished Stranger Things season three, uh, ended up, <laughs> yeah. ended up inspiring a Stranger Things inspired shoot yeah. that I shot when it was dark out. And, uh, so yeah, it, it kind of just comes from all over a lot of like, you know, me hearing something or hearing a phrase and then making a shoot out of it. But I would say that like uh, the biggest thing is that, uh, for me, when I shoot film, I want to kind of take people back to the time period in which film was predominantly the mm. method of like, f you know, m making like art with, you know, cameras. So, uh, I just love like having an emphasis, like a, like a overall like stylistic emphasis on sixties, seventies, eighties, yeah. some nineties, uh, and just trying to figure out how to make it look like that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess uh, inspiration sometimes, like, I had a shoot, I'll finish a shoot, and then I'll be like, hey, I've got a roll of black and white. Uh, that would be my fourth roll of black and white I shot. <laughs> um, hey, I've got a roll of black and white. What if we shoot it? And then it becomes my most popular and my one of my favorite shoots I've ever done. Mm. Um, but it was not something I planned at all. So I don't know. Inspiration sometimes comes on the spot. Inspiration sometimes comes in the form of me listening to music. Inspiration sometimes comes in the form of somebody saying something to me in the middle of a conversation and then me needing to act on that. Mm -hmm. uh, like the word gridlocked becoming a shoot that has nothing to do with the, the term gridlocked. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I feel like that's kind of how I describe inspiration for me. Uh, it's just, it's so hard for me to nail down where it comes from. I get that. Yeah, I do too. I was just going to say it, it like comes in waves, you know, like 
something in, on a movie or a TV show or like music or I'll see somebody and get inspired. Like it just will wash over you. And I yeah. love when that happens so much. But I get what you mean when you're like, especially when you when you try and force it. It's like nothing will come, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, and that's rough when, when especially if you're trying to do it once a week. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> Another thing that's been really helping me with inspiration is doing these YouTube videos. Uh, for instance, the Keeve 60 was like, okay, so uh, I need to shoot something for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if I hit up my friend Laura and... Um, I tell her that the prop is a candlelight. She is a fashion design student or was a fashion design student at NC State. Um, so she has a pretty good like grasp on like putting together an outfit. And so I told her, here it is right here. Um, I know that we're not really recording video, but uh, a chamber lamp that I got at wow. Target for $5 with a bunch of these 35 millimeter 120 converters in it. <laughs> but yeah, I bought, I brought that or told her about that. And then uh, she came with the outfit and it looks like something out of a, like, I guess maybe like 1800s, like running yeah. through the woods sort of scene. Um, yeah. It's, 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 uh, I guess prompting myself with different gear and different cameras has been like the way to get myself inspired recently. Like I'm really excited to try to test out what I can do with that 3000 B peel apart film. Like it's got oh, a yeah. high speed, um, what happens if I bring projectors and uh, fog machines and lights into that situation with that <laughs> film? I mean, the possibilities are really endless there. So uh, kind of just stimulating my brain with um, various props and cameras at this point. <laughs> Love it. Good answer. So, man, I know you have a couple cameras in your collection, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the next the next segment is our two camera segment and uh the first part of it is the desert island camera like you can you can only choose one for the rest of, and like the island does have a lab and well you'll be there so you, it yeah. has a lab and uh <laughs> you can shoot any stock you want so but it can only be one okay what's it gonna be uh pentax 6x7 90 millimeter 2.8 and portrait 400 uh also i will need as many batteries as you can get me <laughs> yes. but that's that's hands down it i no doubt in my mind that would be my selection mm. man i love that you said the 90 millimeter because you know everybody always goes for the 105 and i'm a 90 millimeter 2.8 on the pentastic <laughs> 7 kind of guy too so yeah yeah it's, it's the uh the lens that came with and then dan rubin told me that people will like like you know search these cameras online and buy as many as they can just for that lens it's wow. like you know, ah. like a, yeah it's, i mean um it's just like a it's a lens that people will will try to get just, or it's a camera that people will try to get just for the lens, even if they decide to convert it to digital or something. Uh, we, I actually at my local camera store, we've got a uh, like a Pentax six by seven conversion uh, base mount or whatever for di like Canon digital. Uh, oh no yeah, way, that's yeah. wild. Um, it's just like the god tier lens for that camera, but mine came with a ninety millimeter two eight, and it just feels like so and. Both the camera and that lens together feel like such an extension of my vision when I'm shooting with it. Mm. Um, I love my Mamiya RB67, but and don't listen to this. Uh, close your ears <laughs> over there. Um, uh, waist level finders are just not for me. That you know the ah. fact that the, the the image is flipped paired with you know holding it at my ch like chest or at my like waist, I guess. It's tricky. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it really really slows my down what I'm capable of doing. My favorite thing about my Pentax is although it is heavy, I can put it on a, a like a camera strap 
put it on my back and climb up a tree, which multiple of my concepts have been shot uh, <laughs> up in a tree facing towards the ground. Um, and then, you know, with a prism finder DSLR shaped camera, I can point it directly at the ca- ground and not like, uh, like I can still see, like if I had my Mamiya up there, I would yeah. not be able to see with the mm-hmm. waist level. So it's just been the uh, greatest possible camera for mobility and versatility when it comes to shooting these concepts that require quite a bit of movement and uh like you know range of motion good answer thank you <laughs> and the six seven negative size is perfect too yeah I say both big heavy cameras oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't think the pentax is as heavy as people think it is i mean it's <laughs> it's like a little i feel like it's a little lighter than the rb but i guess yeah, i think i think, I think the shape right. of it makes it feel lighter to me because when you're holding yeah. the rb it's just a box it's just a right, right. big box and if you have a prism on it it is a heavy big box mm-hmm. yeah so that's why i've stayed away from the prism i <laughs> i see i'm a big fan of the waist level i mean unless you're trying to you know put the put the thing up to your eye and get like an eye you can't really do that unless you do the whole like upside oh down oh my thing. gosh <laughs> but then you like risk the chance of dropping it and like losing a tooth or something <laughs> like that so it's... yeah i i guess i also feel like and i had a hassle or i have a hasselblad 50 500c I've just never been able to nail the focus on any waist level cameras like I've been able to with my mm. Pentax. Mm. I can I just can get these razor sharp images with that camera and I think it's just uh from years of shooting with a DSLR. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean maybe that's it or maybe it's just I just work better with that camera. <laughs> I think that's important though. I think it's important yeah. that you find your 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 workhorse, your right. your baby, you know. Absolutely. Well, then that comes to the second part of the the question is our is our white whale. Is there anything out there that you've always wanted to try that you haven't had a chance to get your hands on yet? That is such a good question. <laughs> and I don't know if I have any. Well, I've been wanting, meaning to shoot four by five. I have one Intrepid uh, let me one, but I haven't used it because I'm awful. But mainly because of the coronavirus, <laughs> it's not my fault. Um, yeah. I've been wanting to do that. Understandable. I've been yeah. wanting to do that for a while. I really have been wanting to try out a Mamiya 6 or 7 um, as well, because that's kind of, it almost falls into the category of the camera I like. Other than the fact that I have a, and get ready for this, anybody who's listening, insane hatred for rangefinders. Oh. oh, I just, I, I mean, I know. I, I have a justified reason. It's not just like a blind hatred. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have such a hard time understanding and visualizing my framing with those little frame lines that like mm-hmm. will appear in any size on the rangefinder. I don't know how different it gets, but I was using a Leica M2 uh, and I put a certain lens on it, and then the frame was just like this tiny little box in the middle uh, of the in yeah. the, in the middle, yeah. middle of the frame. And that, in the fact that like I'm not seeing like a one-to-one framing of uh, what I would see through a DSLR where you're looking directly through the lens, uh, is what doesn't sit with me with those cameras. And also, I didn't like with the M2 that there's like there's no shutter noise. I was like, is it broken? I'm sure it is. <laughs> and, uh, they it are not. so quiet. Yeah, very quiet. So yeah, no, really, really, my big uh, issue with rangefinders is just. It's it's more of a me thing. It's not you. It's me. It's just like I have okay. a hard time. I like that. Like using that visualization technique that it provides. Um, and also, it's it's really not like a camera built for my style. I mean, I know that a lot of people use rangefinders as a way to you know see your subject before it comes into frame. Yeah. And I am you know telling people to stand completely still and not breathe. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't necessarily <laughs> need to do that. <laughs> no, that makes complete sense. Yeah, it was tough. Well, I had before I had 
the Leica that I have now, I had a Bessa and with the 50 millimeter lens that I had for it, the frame lines, it was a dinky little box and I hated it at first. It it was like really took it out of me from taking it out and shooting it and then like using it and using it for three years straight. I ended up using that camera every single day and I kind of fell in love with the anticipation of of the box. I was like, come <laughs> on, get in the box, get it there, you are, click, you know what I mean? Like it, it ended yeah. up working for me, but no, I can totally see how if you don't force yourself to do it, you know, it, it it's not fun. And right. it's not fun forcing yourself to do anything like that. So, but I was, I was determined to be a rangefinder guy. So I kind of forced myself to do it. Good answers. Good answers. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to ask him? Oh, this is great. Yeah, this was, this was a good time. I'm sure I'll think of 75 things when we say goodbye. <laughs> oh, actually, I I have something that I could share. Oh, yeah, great. Let do me, it, let do me it. grab this book really quick. Okay, so this is uh, this is something that I like to share with anybody who's interested in photography or film photography. Right now I'm holding a book called uh, Photographer Under Fire, the story of George S. Cook, 1819 to 1902. This book is about uh, one of the first combat photographers in U.S. history, um, accredited, accredited with taking... Um, one of the first combat photos ever, he took a photo at the Battle of Fort Sumter uh, of the exact second of a cannonball exploding. And he is my great, 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 great grandfather. No Wild. way. What? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> and so, yeah, down in Charleston. Um, and my grandfather, Charles S. Johnson, also is a quite incredible photographer who's written some really incredible uh, science-based books about uh, how cameras work scientifically called Science for the Curious Photographer. There's two volumes and or two editions and he's he's incredible as well. But uh, yeah, this book is an out-of-production book uh, signed by my or written in by my grandfather or dad. He said, George S. Cook is your great, 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 great grandfather. I hope you enjoy his story. So it's just oh, a man. series of that's like his stories. So great. That's like it's in your blood, man. Yeah, I was just <laughs> going to say that. Well, I, you know what is funny is uh, I haven't really read the entire thing, but I can't off the top of my head remember what side of the war he's on. So let's just like okay. finish the conversation <laughs> there. But yeah, I mean, Good. I guess he would have been using um, uh, wet, would, it, would it have been wet plate technology yeah, at that point? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, probably some sort of tin type, wet plate, something. When we were at the bat, we went to Fort Sumter um, in the museum that on the actual island, they have his photo of that cannonball exploding. So that's pretty, pretty crazy stuff. And uh, I, I just learned about it in the last five years, but it, it definitely, definitely feels like it is something that like kind of matters. <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah. it, it feels, yeah, it feels sure. so much more important now that I stumbled into film photography and, right. uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's really cool. <laughs> Dude, I love that. That's I amazing. wasn't expecting that twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Linus, this was so awesome. Thank you for, for coming on and talking to us. And um, where can everybody check you out? Check the lab out. Twitter, Instagram, where you at? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is my first podcast I've ever talked about. Oh, yeah. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, pretty much uh, YouTube, Instagram. I'm Linus and his camera. On Twitter, if you want to see me, uh, you know, complain about various things, complain about not having a girlfriend, or uh, see some pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty awful photography memes. I'm Linus N, so just like an N, his camera, because they don't really allow for my full name oh, on yeah. there. Characters are just limited. And then, uh, yeah, if you have any interest in uh, sending in some film to have me develop or chat with me while I develop your film, uh, Linus and his film lab is my Instagram handle. So, yeah, that's me online. 
Awesome. Awesome. Timothy, where are you? Guys, you can head over to Instagram. It's at Timothy Makeups. I also make film photography related YouTube videos. Easiest way to find that is go to the search bar. Just type in Timothy Makeups. And uh, that's it for me. Chris, where are you? So I am Chris B. Photo on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We are Analog Talk Pod on Twitter, Analog Talk Podcast on Instagram, and we have a Facebook group. I'll just say that. We use the group. <laughs> We've got a group. We've got a group. Come hang out, <laughs> post photos, talk to each other, you know, all that. Cool. Awesome. Yes. Thank you again, Linus. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. First off, Chris and I would like to thank Linus and his camera for coming on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Super inspiring story. Love your YouTube work. We love your darkroom idea. Such a great idea. We hope you get to NYC and live out your dreams, my friend. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to take us to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. Every Monday, we release the show two days early. Just for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. We also have a bunch of stuff over there. We have, you know, Patreon after shows, Patreon specials. There's a bunch of stuff over there already. You guys can check out exclusive content. Uh, for the Patreons who already support the show, Chris and I thank you so, so much. Thank you, guys. We don't know what we would do without you. And, uh, yeah, guys, that's going to be it for this week. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week with an all-new guest. Later. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.